Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. All right, everyone, back. welcome back to Beyond the Ball, uh, the podcast that goes beyond the ball, beyond the court, beyond the field, talking with Coach Eric Klump again tonight. I'm Coach Justin Gersten. Coach Klumpy, how you doing? Excellent. Enjoying these summer days. How about yourself? Uh, enjoying the summer days. Got a little bit of a work project going on here at the house, getting my oldest daughter, who's going to be a freshman, moved into a new bedroom uh, that we're putting on to the house. So that's always projects exciting. to do. Always. Always projects. Always something to do. So uh, definitely excited about that. But I uh, got a little rain today, which we were, we've not had a lot of in the Western New York area this summer so far. So it's kind of hot. nice to get some of that. It's yeah. Been hot. And then hot besides. And I'm sure. not complaining. Um, well, let's get started with some celebrations. It's so hot. What, um, what kind of celebrations you got for us you for know, tonight? I, I, like I said last week, I was sitting on this one for a while, and my celebration goes out to all of those parents that became teachers um, over this COVID break. You know, they were sitting at home, and they were fully invested in their child's education, many times learning new material. Um, and if you know anything about how education works, it's constantly changing, and so especially like the math. So you find yourself re-educating yourself on certain topics and on top of your job your 40 hours a week and, and maybe maybe they were working from home so th- that's my celebration i was thinking about all those parents that were just killing it um helping their kids get better and serving their kids and educating them so that's my celebration how about you uh, this is a good celebration. I think I'm going to stick with the school idea here. I know we celebrated administrators in a previous podcast, but as we continue here with uncertainty and what returning to school looks like, and probably by the time this podcast gets released, we're going to be talking about going back to school. Yeah. And so my celebration is to all those administrators out there that have put in work over this past summer getting us ready yeah. for, for whatever it looks like. Because as a, a teacher, I don't have a lot of the decision-making power. And while there's a lot of stress and anxiety that goes along with that, um, you can only control what you can control. And so um, I give a lot of celebrations to those administrators that are actually making those decisions in the best interest of our kids. So shout out to them. Yeah, there's so many things to um, discuss in those meetings. I mean, many, many school districts have reopening teams of up where up near like 40 individuals and just bouncing ideas off of each other, brainstorming through Zoom about, you know, how can we open the school? How can we educate, which is so important, but most importantly, keeping everybody safe. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see what all this looks like. Maybe just have a little bit of trust in a higher purpose, a higher plan that it all is going to work out. So uh, perfect segue, maybe. Yeah. What's, our, what's our verse for this week? Okay. So we go to Joshua 1, nine, and it says, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. And um, you know, when I think about that, I always think about how courageous he had to be sitting there in front of the Jordan River. And I know this has been such a tear, you know, a, a tr- 
time of transition with with many individuals in this country and other countries. And I just ask our listeners today, you know, what's your Jordan River that you're facing? God calls us to be strong and courageous. He has a divine plan for us. And, you know, it'll be easy. And I'm sorry, it won't be easy or necessarily you won't understand it. But he promises that he will be there with us every step of the way. Yeah, I think we were having this conversation, my wife and I, today in the car about, you know, again, what's school going to look like? And yeah. as we're getting ready to start it, what for us, it's that Jordan, that's our Jordan River right now, especially for my wife who teaches special ed and she's all about making connections with those kids. Um, it's definitely going to be a tumultuous time for her. Um, and I just keep stressing to her to be fearless in her approach because that's ultimately going to work itself out. We're going to do the best we can with what we yeah, have. Yeah, like you said, controlling you your controllables. That, that plan is the plan that God has in store for us. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so Coach, tonight uh, we got a couple of things of advice here that we want to shout out to our younger players that might be listening what type of advice do you have basketball-wise for some of our, our listeners? Yeah, when I'm, I constantly write stuff in, in my journal from assessing what I thought I could have done better as a coach and being a young coach. And these last couple of years, I, I, I've came to the realization that you're going to have some extremely uncomfortable situations and conversations that you're going to need to have with your players when things aren't going right. Um, I have a detailed plan when you're going to have that conversation, and my advice is to, is to have it behind a closed door. And make sure that that point is across. Make sure that the young man or the young lady understands um, what you're expecting of them, and then allow them to speak their voice and hear them out so they, they feel that they you are coming into a compromise but a lot of your important conversations and your uncomfortable conversations are going to need to be behind closed doors what about you yeah. coach yeah i mean that's such great advice um probably i would say for me my piece of wisdom for athletes tonight is to come into the season with uh dropped expectations and comparisons. The idea that you need to be the same player um, as the guy that's in the locker next to you. You know, everybody has and brings different abilities to the table and different attributes of what they can contribute to the team. And, you know, we were just reading uh, in our Bible verse this past Sunday with our church community about the five talents and the ideas of, you know, when you're given a lot, you are being entrusted to go and make, make good use of that and bring back, you know, something a little bit larger in return. But if you have something small to just not utilize those gifts because you're worried about what it looks like compared to the person next to you is where you're really not fulfilling your purpose. And so my advice to athletes as they move forward in these upcoming seasons and in their careers in general, this is what I'm trying to stress to my children, you do the best with what you have in front of you and that ultimately you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And so 
I'm hoping that we can kind of push that idea along to athletes as we move forward as well. So It's an amazing piece of advice. You know, you think about, like you said before, dropping your comparisons because, you know, comparison is the thief of all joy. You see the um, rate. Yeah, I've heard that somewhere. Yeah, you, you, heard the, you see the rates of anxiety and the rates of depression have gone skyrocketing in the last 10 years. Well, what's been popping up? Different, different avenues of social media, different avenues to compare ideas, different avenues to compare pictures. Everybody's high highlight films. My, my girlfriend uh, states that all the time. She just um, tries to encourage kids not, you know, to get off the social media and to get off the Instagrams because, you know, you're, you're seeing everybody else's highlight films and then you're making that comparison and, and the comparison is the thief of all joy. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, let's transition and talk about a guy that maybe doesn't or hasn't been caught up in comparisons. Our guest tonight is going to be Coach Earl Shunk who is the head basketball coach at Duville College here in Buffalo, New York. And he's had a pretty incredible journey. Um, he's been a mentor to me in my coaching career. And he's also had a wonderful opportunity to coach at the high school level and then transition into the collegiate level. Um, and now re- most recently taking his team and his program from the Division three level up to the Division two level. And so when going through so many transitions like that, I think that there's got to be situations where you're comparing and a lot of pitfalls that might, you know, entrap your thinking so that you, you know, have negative thoughts. And so I'm really excited to talk to him and see what kind of advice he has and what his journey's been like. Yeah, Coach Shunk is a, is a mainstay in the Western New York basketball scene. I remember when I first started coaching and I was watching his teams play, they're always at Buff State or wherever their sectional championship was. And I, I've been following him as a coach too. And I always wanted to have a conversation with him. And the thing about these older coaches is they just love to talk basketball or football or whatever, you know, they've been coaching for such a long time. And you know, at PGC, they say, if you, if you never ask, the answer is always going to be no. So I've been trying to come out of my comfort zone as a more of a quieter coach and going up and having conversations with all of these older coaches that I've always wanted to have conversations with. And man, let me tell you that these guys will talk to you for hours if you want to have a conversation about this. And, and Earl's the same way. Can't wait to have a, I can't wait to talk to him. Yeah, so let's get out for a real quick break, and uh, when we come back, we'll have Coach Shunk with us. Appreciate you tuning in for this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out these other great pods from the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Cavalier Central, and our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Ball with Coach Klump and myself. We are joined on this episode by Coach Earl Schunk from Duville College right here in Buffalo, New York. Coach Schunk, how are you? I'm doing great, considering we just we didn't have a tornado down down here today, so it was, it's been a good day. Yeah, absolutely. We are, um, we're taping this in mid-July, and what Coach Schunk is referring to is we've had some torrential downpours and some hurricane slash tornado warning. So I think we should be good to go. Coach Clumpy, you want to get us started? Yeah. Okay, Earl. So um, each episode, we do a little thing called Hero Hardship Highlight. And I know it's a little difficult for some of our guests to choose. So we dimmed it down to, all right, let's start out with a mentor Uh-oh. for you for B-Ball. Who is a mentor? Okay. So I actually 
I actually did the hero thing, and I, I have a really good story about because my original hero was Mickey Mantle. Oh and then, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much I aged myself with that, but uh, <laughs> he was he was like the guy when I was growing up, and and then a book came out called Ball Four, and it had all the behind the scenes stuff that everyone knows about everybody now, but nobody knew back then. It was like, he was, he was out drinking after all the games and stuff. <laughs> and the thing that I learned about, about heroes then is that really, you never really know somebody. So if you really put too <laughs> yeah. much faith in a person, but I mean, I still, you're still my favorite player. And I got, I got to meet him once before he died. The thing that I oh, wow. found out from that, though, is that you find out a lot of people are heroic in their own way. And sometimes just being doing the normal every day to day things makes you a hero to somebody. Yeah, so, absolutely. So you're a baseball guy? Oh, uh, very much. That was my first sport. So, oh, Earl, really? so, Earl, yeah. so don't, don't mention the team yet because I know Coach Clump is not going to be happy with your team. I'm just going to say that right up front. <laughs> well, I think by the guy I picked, he might have an idea. <laughs> oh yeah, that's an, it's an easy one, especially around this area. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Coach, coach, coach Shunk and I are often uh, following the same messages on Twitter about the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. both Yankees fans. Coach Klump, what, what are you, Coach? Who you who you follow on the baseball? Surprisingly, side? the Detroit Tigers. Okay. okay, my uncle Tom just passed away a couple of years ago, but he was a big Detroit Tigers fan. So. Yeah, my um, the story is like my my dad would always be working out on the field, and one of the only broadcasts that he could pick up at the time were the Tigers. So all of all of him and his brothers were just always listening to the Tigers broadcasts, and when they could finally watch them on TV, they were captivated with it, and so it's been passed on from generation to generation. That's the same with me and the Yankees. My dad, my grandpa, probably my great grandpa. I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. Coach, so if you're such a baseball fan, how did you end up getting into the, the basketball side of things? Well, it turned out I couldn't hit a curveball in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and and I actually started playing basketball later on. And once I started playing, I really liked it. And then the, the coaching thing just came from that. I really didn't have a whole lot of interest in coaching, except I played for a year and a half at Canisius College, and I was a walk-on. So basically when they decided I, my career was over, it was over. Right, and, yeah. And so the guy who coached the team at the, the Catholic school that I went to needed somebody to help, and he asked if I'd do it, and I was just I was free because it was the middle of November, and I had planned to play basketball. So I jumped in, and uh, next thing you know, I've been doing it. Now this is year right at 46, 47, something wow. like that. Wow. Yeah. Do you feel as a coach, like as a basketball coach, I know that I feel like this, you have a little bit more to do with the outcome of the game as, as to say like a baseball coach. Would you agree with that? I, I kind of missed it. kind of faded out at the end of the question there. Okay. Like as you captive, like you got captivated by the game of basketball as a coach, do you think it's because it, it does provide you with a sense of you have um, a lot of decisions that go into the ins and outs of winning a game more so than the game of baseball. You th yes, I think that was part of it. You actually could kind of put stuff together. And the special thing about baseball or basketball, as opposed to the other sports, is like the third baseman is not going to pitch during a during a baseball game, not from third base. Mm -hmm. And in football, you know, the quarterback 
is going to throw the ball every time. You don't have to worry about like the the tight end, the tight end yeah. saying I'm not getting the ball, or the tackle saying I'm not getting any touches or stuff like that. Right. In basketball, everybody can do everything, so the coach really has more like a role in orchestrating the game. So mm. I think that was a lot of it. Yeah. It's so great. Coach, one of the things that I found interesting about your comments right there was just that you really weren't into it and then you had nothing to do. And, you know, a a coach kind of brought you in and it kind of just led to you continuing on that path. I had a similar story. I was not honestly going to be a teacher when I first enrolled in college and I had some guy just approach me randomly and it kind of all worked itself out. Uh, in this way, when did you know that you wanted to get into coaching and teaching? Well, that that was kind of the first start right there because I was still a sophomore junior college and I was a math major. And the one thing I learned about being a math major is I didn't want to be a math professor <laughs> because those people, God bless them all, but there's some strange people that are math professors. They just think on a whole different plane and yeah. I couldn't see myself being that. So I went and I, I changed my major to education with a with an emphasis in math and that's when I became a teacher and then just the same way I became a, a coach at grammar school the coach at West Seneca West needed a, a modified coach and he asked me if I, I wanted to do it and I did and I really had a really good first year team to have because they were they weren't very good at the beginning but they were really good kids and wanted to learn I think right. we went maybe like five and nine that year, but it was like a really good year, and everyone was happy at the end of the year, and we approved a lot, and it just it just made me think that this is something I really want to do. Yeah, nice, very nice. Um, what, Coach, what do you think if we move on to our next uh, word here? A hardship has been for you over your forty six years, something that you've kind of been able to grow through, even though it wasn't maybe very pleasant as you were going through it. You know, the fight that I was thinking about because you sent me these questions, I I mean, I'm coaching a game. It's like working at a toy store. How can you even have a bad day doing it, thinking about it? But you have seasons, like the first two years at Grover. I mean, I was at West Seneca West, and we were bad, and then they were good, and we were bad. But in the city of Buffalo, you have all this talent. In my first two years, we were 5-36. and 36, And we lost our first playoff game by 53. And I thought, wow, this is kind of something. And in the second year, the second year we had 15 guys on the team and 13 of them could dunk and we won three games. So, I mean, the thing I've learned a lot from those two years and I learned about as much what not to do as what to do during that time. And then luckily the next year we had some of the same kids and we had some of the others. And I remember talking to my assistant coach and I said, we only are going to recruit high or play high character people. Everybody else, I don't care how good they are. We're not going to have them on our team because they let you down at the worst possible time. And that seems to be what has what carried us through, certainly, at Grover. Is that, is that a tough decision to make oh, when you had some so kids that were talented and they you know, they could probably help you win some games? How, was that a tough decision? Actually, well, in the beginning, it was. The first year I had them, it was. But then you could you'd almost see when times got tough that they were going to fold. So you're going to win the games that you could win anyway. Right, yeah. But in the in the big, big games when you needed somebody and there'd be a tough call or you really have to knuckle down, those guys were going were to disappear or worse, they're going to do something stupid. Yeah, so it's the toughness that um, rose to the top in your eyes that really made the difference. 
Yeah, I mental toughness is a huge thing, but it's something you can learn. I think if you're willing to learn that kind of stuff and you're willing to go through some some pain, because some of the guys from that team that the team that went uh, the two teams that went five and thirty six, the next year were seventeen and five, and it was some of the same guys, and they just they just grew during that time, and it, a lot of it was just they they stuck with it, and eventually you get better. Yeah, you see that growth, um, and that's kind of like when you're when you're trying to build a program. You're like, okay, I think it's, we got us moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's that's when it starts. And I mean, I was really fortunate that I was in the city of Buffalo because you know we had a we had a lot of basketball players. I mean, we'd have eighty people to try out, so I was able to pick a lot of a lot of kids. Eighty was tough. But then after the first practice, it'd be like 20 because we had to make the first practice top to see if they're serious. Yeah. Right. So it's one of my first memories of, uh, I moved up to the varsity level in 2010 and Chad Andrews gives me a call and he says, coach, you want to go watch a game with me? And I'm like, sure. We're, we have a, we had an early practice and he goes, I'm not telling you where I'm going, but it's going to be fun. And he and he took me to one of your games, and you had a point guard. I believe his name was Chris Holland, and he and it was just, it was a great game to watch. Um, so like it, it was that one of the special teams that you've had. Was that that was it? Was it 2010 in the spring or in the fall? In the fall. Okay, so that was uh, Tapestry, right? Oh, or was hmm. it Grover? Cleveland? Yeah, it was Grover. Okay, so and I might okay. be messing up the year. Okay, probably, yeah, I've had I had some really good teams right near the end. I had a kid at 2000, probably it was like 2009, 2010, and he was a at the time he was a junior. He was an outstanding point guard. He ended up being uh sections uh the New York State Class C player of the year the year after I left. Yeah. Ah, yes. What was coach? What was his name? His name uh Chris Holland. Yeah, I remember him. He was very good cuz we were pretty that right. good that year as well. Yeah, we were pretty good that year out here at Akron as well, and I remember seeing those teams play. They were so good. Um, Coach, one quick thing. I think, and Coach Klump kind of brought this up, when building a program, you're looking for those character kids, and you just mentioned that you would have like 80 kids at the initial practice for tryout and then down to 20. That's not something that, you know, Coach Klump and I necessarily always have – to deal right. <laughs> with being at a smaller school. So, you know, how do, how do those conversations go when you have to make cuts with those kids? Well, it's impossible to have individual conversations from 80 to 20. You know, the first day we, we probably, we, what we did is the first day we broke up practice into like 40 and 40, and we did a lot of just running, running at first, and then played a lot of three-on-three full court and sideways on two courts. And then at the end of the day, the ones the ones that we knew really weren't going to make it, we kind of pulled them all aside and got them into room. So we got it down, you know, the first day probably cut it in half. And then got it down to 20, and then I kept 20 for almost three weeks. Because a lot of times kids will, you know, they'll kind of snow job you when they want to be on a team. Right. And the most, I don't know about you guys, but I was the most popular guy in the world from the day mm-hmm. before the first tryout until the day that I started making cuts. I mean, yeah, right. I could have had people buy me lunch, whatever yeah, players, right. you know. So <laughs> so they'll BS you for a while. But if you get it for a couple weeks, they can't, they can't stick around doing it that long. And, of course, I walked around, talked to their teachers. 
you know, I wanted to make sure because I, I was I was in a fortunate situation where I, I could actually be kind of selective. So when we finally got down to the end, the last five or six, I would actually pull in and talk to him for a while and tell him what I thought. And I still remember this one kid, and it was the team I that went to Glens Falls. He was good enough to me have a backup point guard. He was better than the kid I had. But there was something about him that I just didn't trust. And I told him, I said, okay, so here's the deal. His name was Max. I said, Max, here's the deal. You know, I think you're good enough to play for us. I'm just not sure I can trust you yet. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to – we only have non-league games first first semester. So we're going to go through. I'm going to keep an eye on you. And if by the end of the semester you stay out of trouble and you do your thing, okay, well, we're going to put you on a team second semester and you're going to get the play. He goes, oh, thanks a lot or whatever. And then two days later, he robbed the bank. So I, I, think, uh, wow. <laughs> I think I was right. Yeah. Yeah. Getting those character kids is that, definitely important. Yeah, that gut instinct on you, Earl. Wow. It, well, it's it. You know, you want you see kids around. I mean, one of the advantages of being a city school is you walk around. I mean, you know, I taught some math classes, and I was like, uh, I was an acting assistant principal a lot of times. I got around the school, so I saw everybody. And I right. think you really the best thing you can do is get to really know your players outside of the court and stuff like that, because then you can see them interact in a whole bunch of different situations. So you have been around the game of basketball in Western New York for quite some time. Um, do you, how, how do you see it change? Do you see it um, with the charter schools coming in, in the high school realm? It, is, is that really throwing it a, a, a big change for you? Well, it, it does in a bit. And the, the year in between, Grover Cleveland at Duval, I was at Tapestry for a year, and it was just kind of starting then. We didn't really – I didn't go out and recruit anybody because I didn't know – first of all, I didn't know you could or you're supposed to at, the, at a school like a charter school. I was just used to the, the kids showing up. But nowadays, you have the charter schools that are actively going out and taking people from other programs, and you have kids that are like three schools in four years yeah. or somebody in four schools in four years, and it makes it an awful lot different. And I think – you know, for the players and for the for the hype and all that stuff, I guess it's it's good. As far as for like the quality of basketball of the teams, I'm not so sure it's good anymore. And you know, a lot of teams like like the Niagara Leeds teams, I've always had fun watching because I think you know they're kind of out there in, the, in their own corner of the world. And if it weren't for Chad, like mentioned you guys in the beginning, sometimes you wouldn't even be noticed. Yeah. But you guys play a really good brand of basketball. It's a nice a nice league. And sometimes I think it's a shame that, you know, teams like that, all of a sudden you have a charter school that comes out and gets like 12 of the best players from all around. And now, you know, it's not competitive anymore. Yeah, I think that's super, been super tough and especially on schools our size. But uh, you know what? You compete against who you compete against and you just make do with what you got, you know? Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I just it's it's a shame because it's not. The, you don't get the same aura about the sexuals anymore than you used to. Yeah, definitely a little bit of a different feel down there. Um, Coach, last one then, and then we're going to move into some uh, other intriguing topics. So okay, what, about sure. a high, what about a highlight? I mean, 46 years, I'm sure you've, had, you've mentioned Glens Falls, which for some of our listeners that are in New York State, that's where we host our state championships. Uh, what are some of the highlights you've had over the years? Well, I remember the Glens Falls team was just special the whole year. It was the one team I've had that I did not have one, not one problem the whole year. I had two really good captains, and 
the problems never even got to me. If somebody was having a bad day, they'd make sure that everything was straight by the time we got to practice. So that team was just, you know, that team was just such a dream to coach. But the, there are a couple of highlights. And there's this kid that I had named Jose Narvez. His nickname was Ace. Oh, yeah. And we played, we played a game at Iroquois High School. And he was a, want to say a, a junior. Yeah, he was, no, he was a sophomore. He was a sophomore, and we we're playing at Iroquois, and they were the they were the one seed, and we were the eight seed. So we we're just starting to get pretty good, and the game was going back and forth. And my three best players all got three fouls in the first half, <laughs> and I kept them out there. And I remember Coach Kenzie and Coach Haskell were in the stands behind me because it was it was like when they had alternate days, so they were watching. Right. And I kept the three of them out there, and we just sat in the zone the rest of the half. I remember Mark Kenzie going, man, you got balls to keep them out there. I said, Mark, <laughs> if we did, we'd probably be down by 30. Yeah, right. So the game's going back and forth. We get to the end, and we are tied with uh, 25 seconds to go. They're bringing the ball down. They take, a, they take a shot, and they call rebounding foul on, I think it was Ace, one of our big guys. So their guy comes down and hits two foul shots. Now, we're out of timeouts, so I was saying, I'm glad I didn't say it loud enough for Archie O'Brien to hear. I'm thinking if, if they're smart, he's going to miss the second check because we have, like, it's 1.4. We don't have time to go all the way down the court. Right. So I'm trying to tell Ace, who's throwing the ball in, throw it long. Right. And, of course, one of the great things about Ace is he, he, didn't, he didn't have a bit of focus in him. So he didn't hear me. So he throws <laughs> the ball in, like, five feet in front of him. And a kid from Iroquois tries to steal the ball and fouls my point guard. Wow. So oh, now wow. it's a one-on-one with .4 left. We're going down to the other end of the floor. And the Iroquois fans, I don't know if you've been to the game Iroquois, but there's probably there are probably 10 fans from Grover and the whole rest of it was Iroquois. Yeah, loud. And, and they were loud, and they weren't really big fans of us. <laughs> so, so the Or the call, I'm guard, assuming. Yeah, <laughs> or, or just in general, yeah, right? <laughs> and yeah, they 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 weren't fond of city folk. Let's put it that way. So so we, my point guard makes the first shot, and now they're cheering, they're yelling, yelling. Misses the second shot, and the guy who was down, their guy who was down on the block to box out, jumped up in celebration, and Ace just steps in the lane and rejects the ball in the basket. And not only did we didn't lose, we won the game at the buzzer, and the entire. The entire crowd talk about like putting a, a pop in a balloon. Right. Everyone and, and then the six people who were there were like screaming and ran out the floor. <laughs> so that game I'll always remember just just for that. And it got us to our first time at Buff State, and we oh. ended up losing to the final that year. So it was really yeah. kind of cool, you know. So that was kind of like our first game that got us there. That one I probably remember the most. And then like being able to play, we played the last couple of years out in uh, Spokane and. Portland, Oregon, and stuff like that. So we played some really cool places with the college team. So that'd be my other kind of highlight. Awesome. Now, Coach, I, I do yeah, see it's that crazy you're, how those Coach, I do see that you're um, present at a lot of stuff that goes Go on ahead, in Western New York. Um, <laughs> are you there as a fan? Or are you there recruiting? Or like, tell us what's going through your head. Are you just I, some, some a little of both. A little of both. You're always kind of recruiting, although it's. It's different now, and especially with this Division Two move we're talking about. But a lot of times there is a fan. Like sometimes I'll just go out and want to watch a basketball game. Mm, yeah, and and you know the other thing is I pick up stuff 
from coaches all the time just watching the games because the great thing about a game where you don't have to like scout or whatever, you can just sit back and really enjoy it. And then you'll see something like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then you'll see it again because I want to see it again then. And so I've I've stolen stuff from people that they probably never know about huh. during games. That's awesome stuff. Right, Justin might have so lost So, Coach, it. sitting in the stands. Oh, I'm back. Yeah, sorry, guys. Um, so, Coach, one quick question I had as I've kind of followed your journey along is just seeing this transition for you going from being a high school coach to a college coach at Uville. What is that – process been like for you either personally like with your own trying to keep balance in your own life and also as a coach like how does that how has that been different for you what have been some of the challenges in that yeah that's this is a a really interesting story I never thought I was going to do this at all I mean at a time I thought maybe when I retire I'll sit on a you know division three bench and just be a helper and then one of my players from Matina went to Glens Falls, Rayshon Johnson, ended up going to Deauville. And he was really doing well. And it was right the year I was going to retire. And um, his coach left to go to Hobart. Okay. So, and he had just got there. And I'm thinking, oh, what the heck? I'll apply. Well, I didn't get the job that time, but the guy that I hired didn't last. So they called me back and I decided to try it. And then when I got there, I thought I. I thought I knew what the hell I was doing. But to be honest, it, it's funny the adjustments you have to make. The, right. the, first, the first one is that, you know, the, the coaches in high school, and you can tell the really good ones because they're out scouting and taking videos of all the games and stuff. Well, you, in college, you don't have to do that because everybody's got video of everybody. That's You have to share video. So – you don't really have to go out and scout games. I mean, there you just go up on a computer. Like right now, I have there's this program called Synergy. I can call up any college, Division One, Two, Three, Junior College game for the last three years, and it's all broken down for me and everything. So right. that part is is so much easier. But on the other hand, you really can't trick anybody that because if the other coaches are doing their due diligence, they know everything you're doing. So that one, I mean. You know, if you guys watched our teams play, it wasn't like we were a slave to running plays anyway, but they pretty much they pretty much are on all your stuff. The second thing was recruiting is really interesting because in high school, I was at a public high school, you guys are at public high schools, you know the guys you're gonna have, they come up. And I always thought it was kind of funny when I had kids at West Seneca West or at, at Grover and a division three coach had come and recruiting them, I think, well, why are you recruiting them? You're not gonna be able to give them a scholarship. But then what you realize is you got to recruit everybody that plays there because kids that want to play basketball don't just necessarily go to your school. You got to kind of go out and show them. Right. And the first year I thought, okay, my plan is, you know, because I didn't think about going too far outside the localities because I didn't, you know, and I thought, okay, we'll get the kids that are really smart from like City Honors and Hutch Tech from the city and they get some of the really good suburban players. And this will work out really good because all the really good teams I played personally played on were like we had some city city people with a little flavor. And we had some suburban guys to calm down the city guys when they played. So right. I thought this would be really this would be a really good thing. Well, first of all, the really smart kids from the city couldn't get in because their SAT scores weren't good enough. And then there's also the the tuition thing, which, you know, a, a, a you was a great school, but it's a private school and the tuition is a little pricey. So you end up having to recruit like six people for everyone you get. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So the recruited thing was interesting. And then, you know, the game itself, the game itself is the game. I mean, to be honest, my best teams at Grover would have won the AMCC a couple of times, you know, as far as like talent-wise and stuff like that. So the game is different, but it's a it's really well-played, hard basketball, and the good teams are really fundamentally sound. And you got to work – as a coach, you got to work really hard. And that was – I mean, it's good because I felt – I used to feel guilty. Like when you're teaching, you kind of feel like you're stealing time from teaching math to plan for coaching basketball. Yeah. And I started feeling guilty at first. I said, wait a minute. No, this is my job now. This is what I'm supposed right. to be doing. <laughs> you know, and the other thing the other thing is – and I at the beginning, and I talked to Mike Haskell, my assistant, about the beginning because basically this is like, you know – bonus jeopardy for me or whatever. I retired. I got my pension. I'm doing this because I want to. If it really got bad, I could walk away and, you know, live off my pension and now Social Security and stuff. So I'm kind of doing it because I want to. So sometimes you feel guilty because there are guys whose jobs depend on winning and losing. And I'm thinking, geez, I, I kind of feel guilty because I don't really feel all that stuff. Right. I mean, you feel the pressure. You want to win. You want to do well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like, and and what you were saying there, Earl, is you said you really got to work hard. What was the big change there? What did you really mean by that? Okay. So, so the big thing is, like, in high school, you got your practice from say two to four, whatever. You're two hours during the day, and then you go out and you get a couple of, you get a couple of catch a couple of games during the week. You put up a game plan and stuff like that, but. Here, here in college, you're you're always first of all you have administrative tests, but you're always recruiting kids for the following year and maybe even the year after. You're watching a lot more video because you because you're playing you're playing two three games a week, and you really got to watch two or three of the other teams' games to kind of figure out what they're doing. And until until recently, we had to break down video. Plus, the kids want the kids want to watch videos, so you show them videos. And then there's during the season, there's individual workouts you try and do with them. So, so your day is focused around basketball. I mean, it's that it's it's fun work, but it's it's there's a lot it's a lot more intensive basketball stuff than uh, I think a lot of high school coaches realize. Certainly that that I realized. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, Coach Young, the de- the next transition then that I found really interesting. So, you transition from being a high school coach to a Division three coach. Now, you guys are transitioning, correct, from Division three to Division two. That's correct. Yes. So, got- so what's what's that been like? Because that seems like it'd be even a little bit more work. Actually, it's probably the same amount of work, but it's actually been a lot more fun because the first the first thing that our we had a nun as president until three, four years ago. Okay. So, so, and and they were they were doing athletics for the right reason. They wanted kids to be good students, good people, and that sister herself was basically like, okay, it's nice that they're playing a sport and stuff like that. <laughs> so, I mean, winning was great, but it wasn't really what they're they're looking at. So, when when sister retired, there weren't any other nuns, so they hired Dr. Clemo, who's a really big supporter of athletics. And I don't know our. If you knew, our colors are red and black, red, black, and white. Well, right. if you walked into our gym until three, four years ago, the bleachers were blue and the padding was blue. <laughs> so you bring a high school kid in, you're trying to recruit, and you wouldn't start in the gym. You'd bring him, you kind of show him around campus, and you bring him to the gym last, and you'd almost have a disclaimer. I say, that there's something in here that's not going to make sense. So once you look at it, I'll let you know the story. And, I, and invariably, they go, why are the pads blue? Why are the bleachers blue? And the answer was because it was cheaper when they built the gym. And 
And so back and up forever, we've tried to get at least the pad, the pads, so the gradual thing. And they'd always say, well, we don't have the money for it. So I used to tell people that we'll probably change our school colors to blue before we change the, the, <laughs> yeah. the padding. And ironically, there's like, there's t- we're 10 teams in the AMCC and eight of them were like blue. More like blue, right? So um, it was like we're in a we're almost at a disadvantage when we're playing a home game because they they got their school colors or wear. Right. So so Dr. Clemo comes in and the first meeting she has us all around and she's asking people, you know, what they think, and I'd raise my hand and say, you know, the gym, and she stopped me, she goes, That's getting fixed. So they put in a new gym, the new logo on the floor, jumbotron on the side, you know, video board. Okay, I mean, let's go. They've, done, they've gone over the top. So now this move to Division Two was even better, and they're right. doing it for enrollment reasons. So they sent me out to Florida during Christmas break. Well, they sent they said go. They want us to recruit from a, a bigger area. Right. So I I found a a place right in between semesters where they had this big high school showcase, and it was in uh, Winter Haven, Florida. So I went out there on a Friday, came back on a Sunday, got to see about 25, 25, 30 games, a bunch of high school teams that made some connections out there. Now I've got four Florida guys on the roster for this year and probably a couple coming for next year. So it's been really cool that way. And the thing is, when you're in Division Two, all of a sudden, everyone wants to talk to you now. Oh, right. You know, it's, it's kind of like the barbershop conversation because even if you're not giving a, a whole lot of money, if you're going to give an athletic scholarship, their dad can go to the barbershop right. and say, my son's got a basketball yeah. scholarship now. And Division Two sounds so much better than Division Three, which, I mean, I guess it is, but you're playing basketball. It's right. But it's since – so we officially got the word on Friday. Oh, nice. Yeah, we officially got – we've been accepted into – it's a three-year phase in. That's so exciting. So this is our first year coming up, and uh, we're going to be in Damon's Conference starting 21-22. And um, so since then, I – just counted the emails and Twitter follows and stuff I got. We've gotten 127 people that are my next star. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Absolutely. So Earl, absolutely. Earl, uh, what other local teams are there? You know, you just mentioned Damon, but are there any other local teams? Now for Division Two, that's it. As a matter of fact, Damon's tagline was uh, Western New York's only Division Two team, and they can't use that anymore because right. we because we once we got approved. Our uh, our sports information people put out uh, Buffalo's only Division Two team. <laughs> right. Okay, because <laughs> technically yeah. Damon's not in the city. That Damon's not in Buffalo, right? <laughs> right. But there's, there's that, and the other closest schools. Other closest school is um, uh, Roberts Wesley in Rochester. Okay. Okay. All right, so I'm excited. I'm excited for you guys to see. I, we, Coach Comp and I have actually, I think, coached a couple of your guys in high school through camp and AAU ball and whatnot. So we're pretty excited to see how your team does this year. Yes, yeah, so am I. Well, you know, with with the way things are, we're not sure what the schedule is going to be like. I'm thinking it's probably sure. be more of a of a second semester thing. You know, I mean. The, the big thing is we're going to get them on campus and we get the good thing about division two. And this was something different about division three between high school. Like we cannot work with our kids from the last day of the NCAA tournament until October 15th of the next year. No summer, no individual workouts. Now that we're division two, we can start day four classes and we get eight hours a week to work with them. Yeah, that's that's helpful for sure. 
Well, yeah, and it just especially now during this time where we're not going to be playing a game for a semester, we have some time with them. We can accomplish a few things. Earl, it seems like when I watch uh, Division Two or go up to watch Coach Beeline's team play at NCCC, the game is so much faster. Um, do you, do you, is that something that you guys emphasize in practice, or is it just the skill of the guys? I mean, are you just saying push the ball, and you know, with defensive transition being so difficult to do, is that how you you know, is that where the the game is played at the at that level? Well. I've been out and seen Division Two games, and some teams play fast, but other teams kind of, you know, they they play kind of a, a more traditional method. I mean, in in my perfect world, we play as fast as humanly possible. I think it's a the, the most fun way to play. You get more guys involved. The fans like it. And I, I feel most comfortable coaching that. We're going to try and play that way. The, the downside of it is if – your team isn't really fundamentally sound or there's a talent gap, you can really get lit up if it doesn't work out. Yeah. So coming up to this level, I mean, it's gonna we're probably gonna have a few growing pains, but I've gotten some athletic guys. We have a really good point guard coming in this his freshman year, and we have you know, we have some returner guys that are pretty good. So I think I I think we're gonna be able to hold our own. I'm that's my hope. So, Coach, as you're bringing these kids in, um, are they excited about coming to Western New York, these kids from Florida? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is they are. The thing about because people were telling – I was telling people I was going to Florida. They're saying, oh, you're not going to get kids come from Florida to Buffalo. Well, the secret about Florida is they have a ton of schools. They have a lot of talented kids. They have no Division three programs. And they have about ten Division two yeah. schools, and the Division one schools are there's a couple small ones, and then the big time ones. And most of those schools are recruiting people from outside of Florida because they can. I mean, if you're if you're a great player in Indiana, you get a chance to go play basketball in Florida. You're going to just love it, you know. So honestly, most of them are looking forward to. It. We've only had two that have actually come up to campus because of the way things happen. Mm-hmm. And one of them came during the, the middle of the, the coronavirus where we were socially distant wearing masks and walking around campus. And and it was like the coldest day in April that we've had in 20 years. And he was like, hey, it's an indoor sport. That's what right. I told him. Yeah, so uh, you just mentioned that earlier with with corona going on. What have you heard with uh, the start of your season? Anything going to change? Well, th- we're in a unique situation too because – we're not because we're transitioning from Division three to Division two. We're actually not in a conference this year, but we'll probably go with what the conference we're going into. The ECC will is will happen, and most of the schools look like they're going to be canceling actual fall competitions and starting in January. And it seems like most schools are going to try and get all the sports in in the second semester. So I think for for colleges, it looks like at least for the non Division one schools, that seems to be the way it's going. Okay. And you know, if I saw for the high schools today, they pushed the start of like fall sports back. So we'll have to see what happens there. Yeah, till September twenty first, and if there's any kind of hiccup whatsoever, it'll be just like you were talking about. It'll start up at after winter break. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of tough because in high school, like in college, you rarely have multi sport athletes. But in high school, you have kids that are playing a lot of things, and it's just going to be really tough with all those 
scrunched in together, maybe even overlapping. Yeah. So, Coach, if I could jump in real quick. Sure. This Beyond the Ball um, podcast that we're doing, really we're all about trying to like access what you're doing as a coach um, off the court. And so what are some of your other responsibilities that basketball has allowed you to participate in? Like, are you working like as an administrator? Has this game allowed you to do anything within the community? What sorts of things has this game opened up for you as a person? Well, especially with my current team and the past few years at the UHU, we've been we are really big on community service. We actually won a community service award for our conference this year. And oh, we've nice. done a lot of we've done a lot of volunteering. I got a great group of kids. A couple of them are now my assistant coaches that that played in the last couple of years. And we've done clinics for like local local kids. There's so much need in the city right around us. So we don't have to go very far to help people. We've done Thanksgiving food drives and stuff like that. So we've done a lot of real community service because my one thing is I really want you know, I want to pass this game along to other people, the things that it can do for you. And the greatest thing is I've got, like, there's a couple of guys that, like, are my assistant coaches. And then there's four or five of my players that are coaching in the in the Titans uh, program that you did and I did last year. I mean, they really want to be coaches. And I think that's really understanding. That, it's really outstanding. I mean, I think I think the best thing that we could do is make sure that not just the game, but the way the way we treat people and the way we push things ahead carries on to the next generation. And the you know the good thing is having coaches like you guys that you know have been there for a while and you're doing it the right way, and you know your kids become a reflection of you. And I know you know I know Justin, you've had a, you got an NFL player. I've got an NFL player who's got a Super Bowl right. ring. You know it's really outstanding. But it's not even the guys like that. I've got a kid who played in, on my Glens Falls team that's in the CIA in Germany. And I mean, I, I don't know what he's doing because he doesn't let me, he can't tell me, but I mean, I see him all the time and you have people that are really contributing members to society. I think that's really why you're supposed to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a fun journey coaching some of those athletes, but I think you're right. Your guys that have coached with the Titans have been absolutely incredible. The Buffalo Titans is an AAU organization that I'm part of up here in the area. And, just the energy that they bring to the practices. The kids just like love being around those guys. They do such a great job. They do such a great job. I was really pleased with them. Actually, I had a couple that um, they asked to speak to a, a group of seventh and eighth graders in the city of Buffalo at South Buffalo Charter School, and they're all inner city kids. And we were wondering, uh, Dave Thomas Jr. Is, was the assistant principal there, and he wanted me okay. to come in and talk to the kids. And he um, honestly was going to think it was, okay, hopefully we get these kids through an hour. And they actually had to stop the assembly and, and get kids on the bus because they were asking so many questions. And they came up and got autographs from the kids. Oh, wow. What a tremendous event. Yeah, it really was. And so we were going to do it again this year, but then, you know, this COVID hit. But it was it was great to see those, those guys. And one of one of my kids, his name's Simeon Hurd. He's going to be my graduate assistant this year. He was my captain last year. I think he's going to be governor of New York someday. The guy, he's been in Rochester, and they've had him on TV four or five times wow. with uh, talking to police. They they brought in police officers. They brought in kids, city kids. They have a dialogue, and they've been doing this for now the last three or four weeks. And he's been on. I've seen clips of him being on TV, and just the way he presents himself. Like today, they were asking about you know 
you know, because they're talking about, you know, defunding the police and all this. And he's going, we need, no, we need police here. We need police. And he right. went into saying, you know, we need the right type of people, but we need people there who, who know they're doing. But we, kids in the city want people to be there. Right. I think it's pretty incredible. You know, sometimes this generation of kids, as the years go on, get a bad rap. But, I mean, we hear stories like that. and We've had some other coaches on that have told us stories about their teams and doing community work. And these kids never seem to let us down. I mean, of course, you're always going to have kids that struggle and find their way at their own time. But, man, some of these kids are just really dynamic. It it's, gets me really excited. Yeah, well, you know, and the thing is, too, it's I always thought when I was teaching in high school and I was I was teaching where I coached, you know, everybody needs kind of a hook, something besides your classroom to 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 get you to come in every day and to get you to like what you're doing. And there were kids that that loved the band. And then there were other kids that were like in student government, but they all had had a hook. And athletics was obviously a very big hook for a lot of people. And, you know, the one thing. The one thing, if I were an athletic director picking uh, a coach, I want somebody that did more than just like say, "Here's how we're going to beat so and so." You know, I want them to develop kids to like yeah. understand what kind of a platform they can actually have in the future. Absolutely, we had on uh, Section Six Chairman for Football Kenny Stolton. He was talking about his athletic director days, about looking for the exact individual that you were just talking about, Earl, those individuals that are going to make a difference in these kids' lives, and then essentially they will make a difference in someone else's life as they, lives as they get older. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been the best man at a couple of my players' weddings, and, you know, you get to see them grow up, and now – Ironically, I'm recruiting the kids of some of my former players, which is kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate uh, you coming on. We're running up on about 45 minutes here. And uh, I just want to say thanks for sharing your wisdom and your insights. Hey, I want to thank you guys for having me. First of all, this has been this has been fun because I, I needed something to do to liven up my day since the last few days. But also... I think it's good that you guys are doing this kind of stuff because I think basketball, it needs to really come back in Western New York in the right way. You know, after this all COVID and stuff like that, I think there's going to be a real need for something to really get people into things. And I think basketball can certainly be a way. Yeah, and you hit the you hit the nail on the head when it comes to like if kids in their niche in school, they go for band or they go for theater, or they go for music and they go for athletics. And a, a lot of people miss that impact when they're talking about, well, how, how, you know, what's the big deal about these kids doing school online? Well, that's the big deal. They're missing those connections. They're missing those conversations. They're missing those things that they put all that stock into and what they felt great about going to school to learn and to be motivated to do that. Yeah, and that's, I think, you know, hopefully we can get back to some kind of normalcy relatively soon because I think that's what the kids are really missing. I mean, a lot of kids need that face-to-face contact to learn, but it's more the interaction with their their classmates and their friends. Absolutely. So, Coach, one quick question. You've been doing this a long time. You are up by three, and there's three seconds left. Are you fouling if they have the ball? Are you fouling, or are you just letting the letting the play play out? Okay, I think I I missed part of it, but I think it's like up three with like whatever number of seconds yeah. to go. Yeah. Okay. So I've changed on this now. Before I would never foul. 
before I would never foul. And then we actually won a couple games where we ended up hitting a three. Right. But I think the foul, it's, it's not, you know, there are some people that say always, always, always do this. And I, I think it's kind of a case by case thing because you got to know the guys who are on the other team. If, if the other team doesn't have any really good right. three point shooters, why, you know, why give them a chance to like shoot a brick from the foul line of their second shot and have somebody redirected in the basket? You know, but on the other hand, you got a team that's got some really good three point shooters, then you might want to follow them early and just put four guys in there and hope you rebound. Sure. I mean, we, well, I, right now, I just like to be up by three with a certain number of seconds left. <laughs> <in that. laughs> but we all coach, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> yeah. The one thing about, the one thing I could say about not fouling is if you don't foul, you can't lose a regulation. Yeah. Right. Right. I don't know. The jury's still out for me on that. I'm what to follow or not follow. That's why we got to. Yeah, we that's had, why we got to send the important questions to these people. <laughs> Absolutely. We we had a game with St. Joe's on Martin Luther King Day. It was one of the like they'd have the big showcase. We we're playing St. Joe's, and we came. We we're down 27. Come back. We're down three with whatever number of seconds to go. The kid had two foul shots to go up three, and we ran this play. We have this five second play where you get the ball in. And put two guys in the corners, and the guy sprints ahead as fast as he can. And his idea was to kick it, and instead he pulled up and hit it at the buzzer, oh. and we ended up winning overtime. Wow. And I remember they were, they were talking to Mark Simon, why didn't you follow him? He goes, I don't know. We couldn't catch him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's usually part of the issue for sure. Great stories. Oh, so good. Well, Coach, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Uh, we appreciate your wisdom and your insights. Well, thanks, guys, and you know, I'll be—I'll definitely be in touch. I'll be out to some games. All right, thanks, Coach. Uh, all right, take yeah, care. Yeah, take care. All right, thanks. Coach. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 